This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Well, welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today and Food for the Hungry, I bring you a podcast that hopefully helps you get better at the craft of preaching and teaching and communicating the scriptures while always hoping that our character leads the way. And today I, I'm really excited because um, I get to bring on two people that um, have been on this podcast before. And uh, many of you have told me how important and helpful um, a church called Tove by Dr. Scott McKnight and Laura um, Berenger uh, was in that conversation to how you understand leadership and pastoring and um, actually being someone who is Tove. And many of you have often wondered, well, I want this to be true, but how do I actually ensure that our church and our culture is Tove? And I'm so excited because on September 19th, a new book by Dr. Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger called Pivot is dropping. And it's going to help you and your church actually be a church of Tove. So without further ado, Dr. Scott McKnight, Laura Berenger, two people I dearly love and respect. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Thanks, Steve. Good to be with you again. Good to be with Laura. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having us. Oh, yes, for sure, for sure. Well, Laura, let me start with you um, because what I have heard is you really had this sense for a church called Tove and really wanted, you know, your dad to start writing about it. You, you both had, had been talking about it um, and you've shared a little bit about that the last time we were on the podcast together. I want to know, like, how did Pivot come to be? So first of all, by I have heard, did you mean my dad told you that I was a pest? I mean, I would say it a little, <laughs> you know, more Tove, but yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, because that's the common, that's the common thread. Um, so Pivot came about because as groups and individuals, organizations, churches, whatever, had the chance to read a church called Tove and then digest it and absorb it. They started asking us, okay, so how do we do this? How do we form a culture of goodness? Or people would ask us, what are some red flags we should be looking for? Or how do how do I, I'm in a toxic culture. How do I change? How do I initiate the change? What if I'm a lay person and I'm far away from the influence of decision-making? And Initially, I would just look at them in conversation or interviews and just say, oh, I have no idea. I like, I know what the problem is. I could just see it by the grace of God. And I'm really busy teaching, so I don't know how you go fix it. But um, over the course of time, those questions, they didn't go away. They became more and more frequent. And my dad was far more equipped to answer those at the beginning than I was. Um, but we dove into those questions and had a lot of conversations with both men and women that are trying to form cultures of goodness, 
men and women that um, we've talked to people that are building churches from the ground up that want to make sure they're tov. We've talked to people that are lay people that want to help um, change the culture. And so through the course of those conversations and a lot of reading, a lot of research, Pivot is our best and most prayerful attempt to answer the questions that we had been most frequently getting. I think that's really beautifully said because I think Tove is the compelling why. And I think Pivot is that accessible, thoughtful how to embody a Tove culture. And I think you guys have done a fantastic job. Um, Dr. McKnight, I, I'm curious for you, you have these three Ps, uh, the, the priorities, the practices, and the powers. Um, talk about that and, and how kind of it kind of got funneled into those three. Yeah, the uh, well, part of the, Laura's answers, I, I'll back up just a bit, is that uh, this is the 198th podcast on Tove and Pivot combined. So wow. we've... We've talked with a lot of people about this topic. So, you know, just back and forth thinking different questions has led in most ways to how we framed it. I did the Bible and the theology stuff, of course, but um, so the peace. Okay, here, here's, the, here's the total truth. We had, I think, 10 chapters. And I, I must have said this to Laura a dozen times. We can start this book with any of these chapters and let it flow from there because all of them kind of were our network. But our editor, Steve, said, you know, it that's not going to work. So he he came up with the word priorities. And then my brain, we're in a conversation on a Zoom session. And I said, oh, then the others could be practices. And then I thought, well, the others are powers. Yeah. So we came up with three, and it allowed us to sort of group the, the, the nine topics that are involved in those chapters into a meaningful coherence of one theme in three ways, and then another theme in three ways, and another one. So that, that's how they came up. But frankly, um, all nine of those chapters – can uh, are networked with the other with the other eight. They they really do work together. You can't, and I you know as a theologian, I wanted to start with grace, and you know the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a theological approach to things, and people would just skip the chapter if you did that, um, because they're looking for pragmatics in in this kind of book. So we started with uh, what we thought were the three uh, most significant dimensions of church life that need to be developed if if a church is actually going to be transformed into Tove. And so we started with character, power, and example. Yeah. And every one of those is a, a year-long series of sermons. And even then you're not only you're only going to touch on it because all three of those are so important yeah. and so hard to, to practice in in good ways so so we started with those and i think then it it worked together the second one is more pragmatic you know of what are the things you have to do and this is where we we benefited from a student who was sitting in the back of my class and he was auditing and it's a d-min class an intensive you know nine to four every day 
And about Wednesday, he says, you know, you got some pretty good ideas about Tove, but you're using all the wrong terms. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I have a PhD in organizational transformation. And he said, you need to read Edgar Schein, this, this important book. So Laura and I both read this book. Wow. And that sort of helped us frame some of the topics in the, pra in the practices. So, but Schein didn't have the theology. So yeah. it's, his, work, his work isn't for the church. Yeah. L Laura, I'm, I'm curious. Um, you, you've attended, you know, a handful of different churches over the years. You know, you, you teach regularly in the classroom and yet you have this love for the church and you've, you've seen the best of the church and you've seen um, some of the worst up close. I'm curious um, when there are cultures that are on the verge of toxic or are toxic, what have you found in the research that you did that was almost like surprised you? You know, like we can say, oh, narcissism. We could say certain things about, but as you were walking through this, was there something that just almost like, wow, I, I didn't think that. Maybe there's a couple of these chapters that you could say, oh, you know, Tove character, of course, that's, that should be, that's really, but was there a chapter or a thought that just, I really didn't see that one coming. And now, man, this is, this is so essential for um, a healthy culture. Two things come to mind. One, I was greatly encouraged by research and by people that we've talked with that change is possible. It's possible. And people can have hope. We can all have hope that a toxic culture can be changed into one of Tove. The other piece of it that I think I learned um, that I just grew in my own faith as we read and researched was, okay, transformation is not going to happen by willpower. It's not going to happen by hiring really talented people or really educated or charismatic people, right? Ultimately, it's the work of God. That's the transformation. And that is probably the big idea that I have taken away from this whole process of pivot is that it's listening to the spirit, surrendering to where he leads and that and letting him do the work of transformation. Wow. Wow. It's, and that probably it's not something that you're going to read in the in the research, but that's the biggest takeaway that I have. Yeah, that's that's so profound. And you know, you you think, oh, of course, of course. But I think um, when I was reading this, and I mean, I think it like even hit me on um, ambition. Um, and there's like healthy ambition, I think, for me, and then there's unhealthy ambition. And there are these parts of like, for me to go, gosh, like, what is, what is that really about? And if that goes unchecked, what could, what could come of that? And, and in my own way, trying to almost consent to the reality, I have good ambition and I have unhealthy ambition. And where does that unhealthy ambition come from? And 
you know, trying to find um, the way to invite the spirit into those spaces and and process with mentors and my spouse and uh, people in my life. But but I think some of this is fascinating because we can use language that seems, of course, we want to reach more people. Of course, we want to do the most good. Of course, we want to. And yet, it could be totally covered in an unhealthy form of ambition or power or scarcity. And and you even, at the, guys, at the beginning of the book have this amazing tree and roots uh, motif and and model that kind of like really sets the stage. Uh, Dr. Midnight, will you, will you process that a little bit? Because I think that's a really helpful piece um, to the conversation. Now, this I was started with- there, Steve, keep calling you Dr. McKnight. I know, I get so nervous. <laughs> You're the only one who calls me that. My students never call me that. Um, this started with Edgar Schein. He had a lily plants in a pond with roots that are invisible. The secret, and then Laura came up, I think, with the peach tree, I, I think. Yeah, because we have one in our backyard and it's very unhealthy, so it's perfect for the illustration. <laughs> but the key thing for uh, Edgar Schein that he points out is that there are a lot of invisible um, dimensions of what is actually going on in an organization and in a church. And what people see, let's say the leaves, the branches, the fruit, are what they see on Sunday morning on the platform. But what is behind closed doors? What are the things that are actually going on that are driving uh, the invisible dimensions of this church? And uh, I thought the easiest way to do this would be to compare the fruit of the Spirit with the manifestations of the flesh in Galatians 5. That just makes sense. And um, and so, and then we added like ambition. The, these things are actually involved in the in the manifestations of the flesh. But this is this is the key thing. Edgar Schein is the guru at MIT who goes to all the major organizations and his people to uncover the, let's say, the real culture of, of a business or a corporation or whatever, a firm. And they will spend sometimes three to nine months at these places before they can come to terms with what's actually going on. Wow. So I wanted to point out some things that I thought no pastor will really admit that greed, competition with other churches are, are the things that are actually driving them. And when that pastor is, let's say, competition, now let's just say that all three of us know of a pretty sizable church that had a pretty sizable pastor, and what was driving him? You know, and what drives some of these mega church pastors? And competition, ambition is almost unchecked for some of these people and is invisible enough that even they don't realize this is what's driving them. When they hear that a, another church had a bigger event than they had, they kick into gear that we're going to do it better. That right there is a revelation, but no one admits that that's what's going on. So that was 
that was what um, I filled in below the surface of Laura's diagram. I think it is, yeah. So, and then, you know, when, when follow Jesus and love God and love your neighbor are in the roots, are in the dirt, the soil that, that feeds the roots, different things grow on the tree, but when it's full of sickness and ambition and, and competition, then eventually the, you know, the tree might look good, but the fruit's going to be sour and it's yeah. eventually going to be revealed. So that was, I think that, that Laura and I thought well with the tree image. So I think it really helps, helps visualize what, what we're talking about. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it really resonated and it was such a great framework to start before we walked into the, the, the nine chapters that, that break down. Um, one of the things that I really, really appreciated about is after every chapter, there's, um, a section and, you know, it's getting to work, but there's, there's a, there's a point where it says, do the hard work. And I, I just had this thought like, man, I think at our elder meetings, for the church that I'm a part of in, in Elgin in Rockford, Illinois. It's like, you know what? We've been talking a lot over the last couple of years since a church called Tove came out. We want to be a church, you know, that is Tove. But sometimes it's like, how do we get there? And I thought these questions, man, every month at an elder meeting, we could just go one chapter at a time and just go slow and over a meal, just process through. It just is the way I saw it happening. How, what do you guys, how do you envision Pivot making its way into the streams of churches? I mean, a church called Tove did really, really well. I think it's been so incredible to see how it's gotten in the hands of business leaders, um, pastors, elders. I mean, this resonated with people. Um, but I think what you've done here as it's more than just resonated. It has made it profoundly accessible, which is really, really a kind thing for us church leaders. Um, but what was, what is your hope of how pivot is used in the local church? I am hopeful. So I'm an educator. That's my background in training. And I don't start teaching any subject until I've assessed where my students are at. So I don't, with some, you know, I need to know, I need to know their data with my, their starting point so that I know where to take them. And I think that is such an exciting part of Pivot to me is our Tove tool that um, my dad wrote the questions. So they're theologically, um, what's the word? Correct. And we ended up dividing them up into the circle of Tove, the important parts of what makes an organization or a person good, right? So there's questions about um, self-reflection questions or, or questions for groups about how are we doing with putting people first instead of the reputation of our institution? How are we, are we telling the truth? Are we, are we justice driven, et cetera? I think I'm so excited for that because it offers individuals and teams, how, how, however churches or organizations want to use it, the opportunity to maybe do what's the most difficult of all, to accept the truth about where you are. But I think that's so exciting. That's where the transformation starts, is recognizing 
where, where do we need to grow? What is the biggest problem in being able to identify it? And I, and I think that's really profound. And, 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 you know, Scott, as you talked about too, I think that there are these hidden motivators that sometimes we can't necessarily address. And then sometimes, and you kind of allude to it with Stockholm syndrome, that you can see it, but man, I, if I, if I speak up about it, I'm, I might be punished. Talk about that yeah. because there's, there's a sense of people who, you know, want that language, but then they, they don't even feel like they have the safety, the trust, the, it's almost better to be blind, will have a willful blindness, um, a naivete mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and just kind of turn because of the cost that will come from it. Well, Laura's right about the Tove tool, and uh, I was asked by a pastor to develop this, and uh, I took each of the eight categories in the uh, in Tove book and just started asking questions about it. And then we, you know, we worked it all together. But here's here's what I think: is Steve, slow, slow, slowly, people, leaders like you can go with your elders and go through, let's say, one set of questions a month. And you may realize that we need another month on this. There can't be any hurry to get through the task. What we need is honesty and transparency so that the truth comes to the surface and that we discover the areas in the church that really need improvement. Let's, you know, I think we ask some pretty hard questions of people. And what I mean hard, not hard to answer, but, you know, is your church empathic or empathetic? How do you release people when you get rid of people? Do you lie about people when you release people? Do you lie about yourself? And if you do, what, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to admit this? And, uh, so I, I think the Tove tool is going to be really important for churches to use in order to find out what is actually in the soil underneath the grass, feeding the roots of the tree that becomes the fruit. And um, we think it needs to be slow. And we also think that it needs to be profoundly safe for people to answer the questions with candor and transparency. Yeah. They, they need to know that they can say what they think. And the leaders of the church have got to move over and let the answers come to the surface. And then instead of retaliating, which is so typical in narcissistic cultures and toxic cultures, they need to say, I've been a part of a culture being formed that makes people unsafe or has created this kind of toxicity. I need to deal with this. And that's what I think, Laura and I, we talked about this quite a bit. I think that that's going to be one of the most profound parts of the book is the Tove tool. And it's not a normative test. You shouldn't be taking it and then scoring yourself. It's questions that should generate conversations among people in the church. And you may find out that in one category, let's say truth-telling, uh, that you find out that you could only answer two questions in a two-hour session because it generated so many things about the church that that need to be discussed. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and I think that's the—my my counselor often says, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. 
And, and I think that that art of going slow. And I think, you know, we want to, we want to digest it. We want to get our score. We want to win. Yeah, we want to yeah. be better than, you know, to your other part, the, the church and, and their, their Tove culture grade. We want to be, be like, that's not what this thing is. And yeah. it is, um, I mean, I think for senior leaders, I think for elder boards, um, and this is, this is, this is an invitation to do some incredible work, but really be honest about how your church really is. Not the shiny stuff, not what you post on Instagram, not, you know, what's front facing on your website, not on the platform on a Sunday morning, but really what's happening um, behind the scenes, what can't be voiced and what needs to be voiced. Um, I'm curious, um, Scott, what, when you think about New Testament churches, and you know you you you've done commentaries. Uh, some of my favorites. Um, you wrote this and participated in the Second Testament, which is amazing. What do you think is the healthiest church that's represented in the New Testament? What would what would be the closest to a Tove <laughs> church? Yeah, I've never I've never been asked this question. Never even thought about it. Great um, question. Um, okay, let's. My follow-up's even better. My follow-up's even better. So we're gonna rule excited. out. We're gonna rule out Corinth. Okay, <laughs> Corinth good. gets yep. gets last place. We don't know enough about Thessaloniki to really go much there. So all right, there's some stuff there, but um, and Philippi doesn't have a lot. I think Philippi is pretty dang healthy. Yeah, and I think Ephesus is probably healthy. But that's only because we get these little letters about them. We don't we don't know that much. But uh, Rome um, Rome has some. Um, we don't th- learn that much about Rome because Paul hasn't been there. But he knows those people that he mentions in chapter sixteen. So many people. So Ephesus. Well, take us there. How do you know? What do you? How do you know? I think Capernaum is the best one. Capernaum. <laughs> oh, that's I. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. why? Tell us why. Well, Capernaum, I mean, we don't know anything about it. Uh, Jesus, this is where Jesus ministered with the people, and it was so powerful. But, uh, you know, they're, they in Capernaum, you can look right over to see Tiberius, where Antipas is, and Jesus calls him that fox. Uh, you know, I'll go to Jerusalem, I'll die there. That's where prophets go. Um, but, I, you know, I... I'm just saying, Capernaum is where Jesus was. There was healing. There was the teaching of the kingdom. They saw the fullness of the kingdom of God. But uh, we'll say Ephesus. Okay. I, I was I was thinking it's not very it's not mentioned very much, but I've I've always been so curious about Acts 13 and the church in Antioch and just the you know the yeah. diversity that was there and you know the the releasing and sending out. But man, I I. I was thinking about that. And then, and then second is if you could think of a couple leaders in the, in the new Testament um, that really embodied, but you got your hand up. Oh, I got, I got, Oh, you got an answer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here, these, this is kind of interesting. If you, I mean, look, we got Peter and Paul. Uh, We know all kinds of stuff about both of them, but it is very interesting uh, how Paul treats Titus. Titus was Paul's reconciling friend, it, one of his co-workers. When Paul has problems in Corinth, 
which he had plenty of. And they did not like him. They didn't like how tall he was. They didn't like how he spoke. They didn't like how he treated money. He, they didn't like him. And he wanted, he was so vulnerable with them in Second Corinthians. Open up your heart to me. I've opened my heart to you. I mean, this is, this is just not very manly of Paul in the first century. And the Romans didn't like this sort of thing. But when Paul has a problem in Corinth, he sends Titus. Now, where did, why Titus? You know, Titus was with Paul and Peter in Jerusalem in Galatians 2, 1 to 10. Titus witnessed the reconciliation of Peter and Paul in their respective missions. And it looks like Titus learned from this the whole process of reconciliation. Now, he disappears for the first and second mission trips of Paul, but all of a sudden he shows up in the third mission trip, and Paul sends him to Corinth to do two things. Number one, to deliver the severe letter. Well, that's... That's not fun to sit up and read this letter to churches that are basically rebuking them for the way they've treated him and disrespected, etc. And at the same time, his responsibility was to get them in order with the collection for the saints. How can you raise money with people when you're you're telling them that they're wrong? I think this is this is an amazing text. So for me, Titus is at the top of the list of a Tove leader in the New Testament, Tover than Paul and Peter. Well, and, and think about this. Um, I don't think if I were to ask a hundred people in the church, um, and if I, you know, I don't think Titus would be in their top 10, you know, and, and, and it's like, oh, it's going to be John. It's going to be Peter. It's going to be Paul. It's going to be, and you, you think about, um, some of the the most fascinating characters um, and leaders are the ones like Ananias, not the one who stole money from the church, bad dude, but the yeah. the one who who went to go see Paul, you know, or yeah. Saul at the time. Yeah. Like these leaders that you don't know much about, yeah. but what you see in them are those elements of of goodness and reconciliation and speaking the truth. Um, um, Laura, I'm I'm curious for you. You know, as as you've kind of, you know, working your way through this from the theology side, the the research side, one of the things I respect about you, and you challenge me, to be honest, really, is um you are a tr- you are a fierce truth teller. Um and I I sometimes I'm like, I get a little nervous, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, I have a little Ferris Bueller in me. I want to like make everyone like me. And but like I am so incredibly um, inspired by your strength to tell the truth. Um, And you just do this. I I just feel like when it's online or whether in your book or whether just talking with you, I just, I I feel, and I feel like that's like, that's oftentimes something that's not celebrated um, in churches, especially when it's coming from women at times. And I think that's such a miss on so many levels. I'm curious where you learned that fire and to trust your voice, to trust um, your gut, to trust that spirit's leading. Um, where, did, where did you learn that? You know, it's funny you say that um, 
I don't know. I, I don't always think of it as a strength. Um, I've tried to back off and be a little bit more gentle. Um, my therapist says less judgmental because you don't know half these people you're calling out <laughs> or 90% of them. Um, so there's a, I think there's a fine line between um, there's a line right between telling the truth. And I was able to do that in the Willow situation because I knew the truth and I knew of what I was speaking and um, I felt it need needed to be said. Somebody needed to be, to stand up for the wounded people that were getting run over, you know, but there's a difference between people, you know, situations I may not know. And I've tried to be more careful with that, but um, I don't know. It just, it comes from a place of this is not right. And somebody needs to say something and I don't, I feel like I'm a person that could say it. And so I will, but it really, it really like stirs me up when I see a church or an organization, whomever trying to bury the truth and hurting people in the process. And in that case, I feel like it, the right thing to do is to speak up. Yeah. I think our family, Laura and Mark and Chris and I uh, developed this over Willow Creek. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a professor. I give my opinions in class and I write books, but I, I didn't write books that were critical of the church. Yeah. So the Willow story became for us so almost like a family challenge to speak up stand up and speak up, stand up and speak out. And we learned the, let's say, the the good side and the bad side of this in, in a couple ways. We felt like we were telling the truth. I remember thinking when I wrote my first blog post about Willow Creek, I thought, I told the truth. I think I told the truth, doggone it, all right? But we also learned that people didn't like that. I mean, I even had a student say to me, I think you're... I think that's too harsh. And I thought, I told the truth. The truth is harsh here. This is what happened. But the other side of it is, it gets, it's pretty easy to speak out in situations once you've gained that platform mm. about things you really don't know about. Yeah. And I think I've, I think I've, uh, I haven't been one that goes after people very much on Twitter. I just, I don't do it that, but, and I never really have done that every now and then I have, <laughs> it's amazing how much backlash you get when you think you've told the truth. But um, I do think we have to be really careful about speaking against people we don't know anything about. Um, and then the other thing I've experienced in this is even when you are thoroughly convinced that you've told the truth, someone else may describe that same situation in a completely different way. And you go, Oh, well, I, I don't, I think you're wrong, but yeah. I know you really think you're right. You know, and I've, I've seen this. I mean, every place I've ever worked, I've seen this sort of thing happen. So we, uh, I think as a family, we developed that. And then Laura, I mean, Laura's not as active. 
least I don't know this. I don't. I Dad, don't you're not even on Twitter, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're, you're doing much on Twitter, but uh, I do know what Threads is. Yeah, Threads is awesome. Well, and I, I think that's, I think what um, I found from your family is less calling out, but profoundly inviting people and calling them up and calling them in. And, and it's, it's amazing. Like, I think like the church called Tove, it, it allowed churches to, man, call them up. This There's a higher standard for pastors. There's a higher standard for how we carry the name of Christ. Um, and I think pivot, it really calls us inward to say, Hey, let's, let's, let's be really, really honest. Let's take a, let's take an actual litmus test and say where we are and what we need to do. And the Tove tool, I mean, it's just amazing. You know, um, when Laura, when we were writing Tove, uh, I would tell Laura, we got to find some positive stories. There's too many negative stories. <laughs> it was sadly, it was, Steve, it was hard to find positive stories, Yeah, yeah. but yeah. also positive stories don't make the news. So it, you can't like Google and research for them. It's tight. And the other thing is you find a positive story. Then you, two years later, you find out the guy was a total creep. Yeah. But um, what Laura and I, we talked about this. It's easy to write an expose. It was harder to write a book that would be redemptive. And our editor at Tyndale named Dave uh, helped us rearrange the chapters so that it moved in a redemptive direction. Yeah, And I think that is what flowed into Pivot, is yeah. that redemptive direction. You feel that you really, really do, and it, I mean, I felt like I, I, I could, I could taste it, I could see it. Uh, I, it, it made like the sense of urgency, but also the recognition it's going to take time for this to actually not just be something we aspire or hope for, but actually something we're we're going to pivot and work towards. You know, and um, I'm also curious <clears throat> when you write a book about character and goodness, do you feel like there's like a pressure on your back like you know it's like the the guy who wrote the 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 book of virtues and then you know to your point scott like a couple years later you find out he's he he, he had massive character flaws or you know you, you find, like do you feel this like man this we're we're speaking up about this stuff but man it's like this is this makes us have to live it it's almost like a healthy accountability uh for yourself and and how are you how are you both you know walking in this and with chapter two really being on Tove character, what does what does that look like for both of you? Whether in the classroom, whether in you know leading, whether in the teaching, and um, even walking through difficult situations, how, how how do you guys do that? Yeah, I mean it is heavy. I I do think about that a lot. I uh, the uh, side note, I today I was teaching. We were talking about rules. And being kind to each other in the classroom and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Most of the kids are like, well, I'm not going to hit people. And one of my students raised his hand and is like, I'll tell you where you find all the rules. You find them in Leviticus. <laughs> I was the only person that nobody was talking about. Um, I was like, that is, that is one of the funniest things I've ever heard at kindergarten. <laughs> and the other kids are like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> it, it, like, it, it does feel weighty. It feels like if I'm, you know, if I'm writing about character, like I better be a person of character. 
And the place that I get to practice that most often is where I'm at from 7 a.m. until 5 p.m. every day is my classroom. And we talk about emulation a lot in in Pivot. Um, I want to be the kind of teacher that my students can emulate. I want to create a culture of Tove. You know, I can talk to them about kindness. And if I'm not kind to them, you know, what that's not character. That what what is that? That's not integrity. So um I try to model that for them as much as I can. But again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. Where does where does transformation and character come from? Ultimately, it comes from listening to the spirit and surrendering to where he's leading. And um, I get it wrong all the time, you know, but um, thankfully there's a God of redemption for all of us. (laughs) Yes. Yes, there is. That's awesome. And I think, um, I think that it's not good if you don't think you need to work on this. You know, I'm almost 70 years old, so I don't have as many years to work on it as other people do, probably. All right. So I think, I think that is important for me, Steve. You know, my life is a life of writing and studying the Bible. That's what I like to do. And writing these everyday Bible studies on every book of the New Testament, where basically I have to come up with a sermon every day. And sometimes it's two passages, so it's two of them. <laughs> and and every one of those things, you know, I can't just write a commentary. That's pretty distant. I'm also trying to mold it so that it becomes a reflection for life. And the minute I move in that direction, it's always convicting. All right, so right now I'm looking at Second Corinthians. Well, today I wrote on two passages in Second Corinthians 8 to 9 about giving, donations. Well, Paul has a theory, a theology of giving. And... You know, you, you, he's concerned about the poor, uh, in Jerusalem. And he, he doesn't want to coerce them, but he's not afraid to persuade them and right. to tell them the Macedonians are doing really well. How about you guys? You know, uh, so those sorts of things just make you think about, you know, how do I try to motivate people? What am I doing? You know, it's easy to try to make people feel guilty. But it's hard to, let's say, use the positive as a way of motivating. It's much more difficult. And Paul, I think Paul struggles with this. Is he? He's trying to be good and uh, can get kind of crotchety at times. Well, I, and this is a great setup for my last question. And um, there's a the the whole section on power. Um, the three chapters. I mean, it. I, I had to read it slow, and one one kind of drawing that was done by Janet Hamburg. It talks about these stages of power, and then you talk about stage one, two, three, four, five, and six, and that they lead by. And stage one is force, and stage two is rules. You know, and they inspire by, and and just the it, the the chart is unbelievable. It um, is. It, it's page seventy eight. I mean. Every leader should sit in it. And I I found myself going, okay, 
where am I in this? And, um, and where am I on it? Like, where am I truly? And, and I, I was like, okay, here's, here's where I'm at. And then I was like, I wonder what Lauren Scott would say about Paul. Where would Paul be in this list? Um, <laughs> you know, where, where, you know, and I just, I, and, and then I felt a little bit better maybe about myself, but then I was like, uh, where would, you know, if you, you think about the Tituses and I'm like, oh man, that's, I got a long way to go. It, it, it that sense of, man, you really, those words, what am I leading by? How am I inspiring people? What are required and how am I managing? I mean, that, that, and the questions you ask about that is worth the book itself. Everything in the book is amazing. It's, it is such a crucial read, but there were so many moments where I just had to like, gosh, that, that messes with me, you know? And, and then how do I, how do I go to the next stage in just one of those areas? You know, and in some ways I might be leading by one of those stages, but then I'm inspiring by another one and it might be up or down, you know, and, and I just, I, I found myself really like, again, to your point, Laura, just bringing that before the Lord and just going, gosh, like I need, I need to bring this to my mentors and, and really dive into it. Um, so my question really with that is where in some of those church leaders, like, like Paul, for instance, where do you, where do you think he would be? I'm going to settle in here and forget that I'm on a live, on a Zoom. <laughs> I love this. Okay. Okay, Laura. Pivot. Pivot. Gotta- Which was the best. That was the best use of social media. I was dying. Um, pivot. Pivot. Going up the but stairs. Do you want to know what's really funny about it is when we went to name the title of the book, we were like back and forth. And my dad finally was like, I know. Pivot. And I said, Dad. We cannot name the book Pivot. That is the most famous Friends episode. Everyone's going to think of the couch. And he's like, don't worry. No one's ever heard of that show. I've never seen it. They won't think of Friends. And so he that's where he started. And he's now acting out. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, and, and, and it was just purely a lark. I said to Chris, hey, I'll carry these books up the stairs. You take a pic. You take a video of it. And oh. then it, it turned. Okay. And you by know, the way, I, my wife and I are big fans of Chris. We just like, we love, we, we don't know her. Like we just on Twitter, she is, she is, she is so fun to follow. She is, she is awesome. So please tell her that. I will. Okay. Now I think when you look at Janet Hagberg's six stages and you look at the apostle Paul, I think if you do lead by and inspire and require and manage by, I think you would find different strategies for yep. Paul. So the theory that they all line up and that's how you do it, I, I'm not sure Paul did that. And there's some things I'm not sure about. But, for instance, he led a lot by persuasion. But my guess is that Paul modeled integrity in ways that were unbelievable. Now, think about this guy who, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you realize this guy got beat up a bunch of times. Danger. And they didn't have stitches and go to the doctor. And I mean, so he had to be, he had to be, you know, cut up and scars and maybe, I don't know, I'm sure his body was beat up. So there was something about his body probably that communicated everything. And he clearly was a man of hope. And consistency and honesty. So I, and he was a mentor. I, I think he had all these co workers. 
to have all those coworkers, you you can't just be a persuader. You got to have people around you that want to be with you. And he had very close relationships with Timothy and Titus, Epaphroditus and and these others. So all the people around him, I I would say Paul was a a stage five who could probably operate in, in stage six at times. But in the mission that he was involved in, there was so much junk going on. Uh, the wisdom part for Paul probably only ha- happened in his times along with Titus and Timothy. But he, um, you know, there aren't very many people who can say with integrity, copy me. That's the Greek word. Copy me as I follow Christ. I mean, that's that takes chutzpah yeah. to say. Yeah. And then, of course, it's been repeated for 2,000 years because he said it. So I would put Paul at a, at a stage five. And I think it's really unfortunate that so many of the uh, uh, critical Christians, the deconstructors, do not understand how emotional and feeling-centered this apostle was. Mm. And I, I just wish they'd read Second Corinthians Chapters one through two, and then skip chapters two through two thirteen. Get him, yeah. get him worried about Troas, and then skip all the stuff because he got so happy. And then go to chapter seven and read the end of that story. It's amazing. Yeah. It is a very vulnerable apostle. This was no uh, tight anus kind of guy, you know. Is yeah. that okay on your podcast to say? I mean, all the words the pick did you pick? That's not what he was. I mean, yeah. he was he was a very emotional, caring, even volatile guy because you know, he wore his feelings on his sleeves. Yeah. They all knew how he felt. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, friends, I, I cannot stress enough um the importance of this book. And I think if you even if you're a student ministry and you've got a team of key volunteers, this is awesome. It's great learning. It's great thing to process what kind of ministry and how you're empowering students, college ministry. You're on a college campus and you're building a team um, and you're really mentoring younger leaders. This, this is an incredible book to get them to understand. Something I wish I would have been able to read when I was in Bible college um, for any senior leadership team, for any elder board, and especially for you, senior pastors, teaching pastors, executive pastors, who are directing ministry leaders, directing volunteers, this is an essential read. And I cannot stress that enough. I bought a bunch of copies. I'm actually going to give them away. So be on the lookout for that because I, I, I really, really believe in this. I, I love the idea and the compelling why of a church called Tove. And this book though is the next, next level. It just, it for me made it realize, made me realize it's possible. Like you said, Laura, it beautifully, um, we can change. And as Scott, you said, it is redemptive. And, and this just gave me a lot more hope for the kind of church, um, I want my kids to experience. Um, the kind of church I want to believe is possible. Um, the kind of bride that, um, would have a, a, a deconstructing world, um, a cynical world, a critical world to look at and say, I don't agree with that, but those are really good people. 
And those are good leaders. And mm. they are um, who they say they are. And they're making me question and think and wonder a lot. And I feel like you gave, you both have given us a tool, um, the Tove tool. You've given us a, a, a means and a way to, to really be a church that um, Christ would be proud of. So um, thank you to you both. Um, uh, you, you, I hold you both in such like a dear space in my heart um, just because of who you both are to me. Um, but honestly, thank you for this book. It's a, it's an incredible resource. Well, thank, thank you. you. That was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So um, where can people find you? I mean, Laura, you, where can people find you? Cause I mean, again, I think people should follow you. I think people should know you. You are an amazing kindergarten teacher, but man, you are <laughs> so much more. So uh, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I'm probably most active or Instagram. And I do have a new website, um, laurabehringer.net. So you can find me there too. Laura you have Behringer. a website? Dad, you've seen it. I sent it to oh, you. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's the same thing that you had before. And Right. And we also have a website, churchcalledtove.org. Awesome. And a church, a church called Tove.org, will that be pushing all the stuff for Pivot as well? Yes. yes. Perfect. Yeah. Good. Good. And uh, Scott, where can people find you? Uh, in my library. In your library. <laughs> well, <laughs> where can can you give, where can people find the Substack? Because that okay. is Substack, Scott McKnight Substack. Yeah, that's my daily, Most almost every day I have something on Substack. And then uh, I have a Twitter account and a Facebook and an Instagram and a threads. Yeah. Well, yeah. get, get on the, the sub stack. <laughs> yeah. Get on that sub stack. Cause it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and I don't know how you pump out as so much good content as you do. Um, but I'm grateful. So friends, thank, thank you. you so much for who you are thank and you. Every, please, uh, September 19th pivot, the priorities, practices, and powers that can transform your church into a total culture drops September 19th. Go get this book, pre-order it, get it, and uh, buy buy multiple copies. Get them for your elders, get them for your team. It's going to be a gift. Thanks for tuning into the Crafting Character Podcast, and we will see you next time. Grace and peace, everyone. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.